0: Last week, uh, we looked at a story in which very particular words from Jesus uh, that are often thought to be harsh, mean, really worked. The reason for the misunderstanding for those words was due to translation difficulties, both translation of the language and translation of the culture. In this morning's story, Jesus does have harsh words for his own friend, Peter. They're swift, severe. There are no issues of translation or of language or culture. Uh, What we hear is what Jesus meant. Uh, We hear that he, he starts teaching them about how he has to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And we hear in verse 32 that he, he spoke plainly. There wasn't any translation issue for Peter either. It was very clear what Jesus was saying. And then we hear Peter took Jesus aside and said, and began to rebuke him. That's a, a strong word. Basically, he's saying, No, Jesus, you've got it wrong. You can't let this happen. And that's when Jesus lets Peter have it. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind, he is calling Peter the embodiment of God's greatest enemy. Everything anti-God. Everything anti-Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. There's no ambiguity. This was as bad as it sounds. The reason that Jesus snaps at Peter is crucial for us to understand. This story is as fundamental to our understanding of Jesus as any and all of Scripture. In Mark's telling of the story of Jesus, this is the first time that Jesus lets the disciples in on the whole story. He reveals to them the full details of the path that he knows he must take. And since Jesus' primary call to all of his, his disciples is follow me, This is the same path that we must follow. As Peter learned, the way of Jesus is not the way of power and glory as the world defines it. The way of Jesus is in fact so opposite of the world that by following Jesus, we risk humiliation or worse. Immediately preceding our story for this morning, there has been another story where Jesus' disciples reveal to Jesus that they now believe Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Again, Messiah uh, translates into English, the anointed one of God. The Messiah was going to be God's anointed leader for God's covenant people, Israel. In Greek, the word uh, Messiah is Christos, or anointed one is Christos, or Christ, as we have come to know it. In the centuries leading up to the birth of Jesus, the expectations for this person, this unique person, the Messiah, the anointed one, had risen dramatically. Very early in Israel's history, it was thought that the whole nation of Israel would be God's servant, anointed servant. But then it began to focus on that there was going to be one specific person and that this person was going to be anointed by God to lead God's people to new days of earthly power and glory. The thought was that the Christ would not only break free God's people from centuries of oppression. that. The, the Christ would not merely return Israel to the position of power and glory it had had under kings, their kings, David and Solomon. But the Messiah would also gather all of God's people who had been spread throughout the known world and create the most powerful and glorious kingdom the world had ever known. Douglas Hare, a professor uh, at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, adds, When the disciples identify Jesus as the Messiah, they do not mean that he is a military leader who will conduct a successful war against the Romans. Rather, they believe that he is the man destined by God to put down the oppressors by means of supernatural power. Professor Hare notes that Isaiah eleven four was a verse that was associated at the time with this figure, the Messiah. And that verse reads, with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. That is the Messiah, the Christ that Peter and everyone was expecting this powerful, glorious earthly leader. But that's not what they got, that's not what we get. Jesus accepts their identification of him as the anointed one of God, as the Christ or the Messiah. Then he tells them what that means for his immediate future. That's why that little verse or that little word is in there. Jesus then began to teach them what this all meant. They had just acknowledged him as the Messiah, and he says, "Yes, I am," but this is what it means. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, all of the the religious leaders of the people of God, and that he must be killed. Now, Jesus does include this little bit, and after three days, rise again. But it's clear that the brains of the disciples just shut off after the whole, he will be killed. They didn't catch anything else. And that happens over and over again in these stories. And it's clear it's not until after they actually witnessed him risen that they began to say, oh, that's right, he did say that. That was the part, the, the killing, that Jesus was going to be killed that, was, that set Peter off. In rebuking Jesus, he is essentially saying to Jesus, No, that's not right. You've got it wrong. Douglas Hare lets us know why Peter is so angry and confused. He writes, What is shockingly new in this passion announcement? The passion is the the way the whole idea of suffering and dying is summed up. This announce- the, the shockingly new in this announcement is that the Messiah must suffer and die. As far as we know, Professor Hare writes, as far as we know, such a notion had never occurred in earlier Jewish thinking. So not up until Jesus did it ever even cross somebody's mind that this might be the way it would go. The, Maya, the, Maya, the Messiah was supposed to inflict suffering, not experience it himself. Tom Wright adds, the new lesson wasn't just that there might be danger ahead. The new lesson was that Jesus had to walk straight into it and that it would be certain death. This was what he had to do. But a messiah who was killed by the authorities would be shown up precisely as a false messiah in their understanding. But that was Jesus's path. He went the way of suffering, humiliation, arrest, and death. After he died and rose again, the early Christians looked back and saw that God had given clues that such would be the way of the Messiah. In fact, our Hebrew First Testament reading began to be interpreted as a prophecy about Jesus. Let me read it again. Now they began to understand how this fit in with the picture of the Messiah. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? They certainly hadn't. The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched land. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over. The man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him. We thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things that were wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, but God was punishing him for. uh, We thought that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him. And it goes on. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word justice miscarried, he was let off. But did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich. He was thrown in with a a rich person in his death, though he had done no violence. So uh, therefore, God says, because of all this, I will Give him a portion among the great. I will divide the spoils uh, among, he will divide the spoils among the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered among the, the evil people of the world, the criminals. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. In this morning's story, Peter, the other disciples there, the crowds that are around them were confronted for the first time with this disorienting truth, that God's chosen leader wasn't going to go the way of most worldly leaders. Jesus was not going to change the world with violence, political power, with wealth, with fame, The way of Jesus is radically opposed to the way of our world. The way of Christ is through peace, service, sacrifice, and humility. And if we are to be his disciples, we must also follow that same path. Jesus makes it quite clear. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples, because everyone needed to hear this. We need to hear this. If anyone would follow me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. If you want to try to protect it, you will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for their soul? There's been a lot of confusion over that image that Jesus gives us here about carrying or Bearing our cross, our cross to bear. A lot of people have been taught that this refers to suffering in kind of a general way, any suffering. For example, a person gets diagnosed with cancer and some Christians will say even about themselves, oh, it's, it's a cross for me to bear, or they'll say about others, it's a cross for them to bear. Sadly, this idea has even been used to cause further suffering in the lives of people. And sadly, most often it's been done against women. For example, a woman might share with her pastor that her husband abuses her. And some pastors distort this image grotesquely and say, well, that is a cross you must bear. You married this person, you have to bear that cross. But that is a lie from the pit of hell for many reasons. But certainly in relation to this particular reference, this image, what Jesus is referring to here is specifically persevering under suffering inflicted because of following Jesus, because of following the the way of Jesus Christ. Notice that he includes, In verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me, ashamed to admit that they follow me, that they believe in me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, well, be careful. When the time comes, I might just be ashamed of you. The way of Jesus is so radically opposed to the way of the world that following him openly can bring humiliation, suffering of all sorts, even death because of association with Jesus. Now, these days in the United States, we need to be very careful about talking of suffering because of being Christian. This is not the made up woes about the war on Christmas or being forced to sell a cake to someone you don't like. That is not suffering for being Christian. First of all, because there is no war on Christmas, and secondly, because it's just ridiculous. In the time of the early church, and at different times and in different countries, right up even to this day, persons were killed for professing to be followers of Christ. People were forbidden and faced prison time for openly worshiping Christ. Those are instances of bearing a cross, suffering because of following Jesus. We do have situations where following Christ brings suffering in the U.S. even. One example is being a Christian in Seattle can bring ridicule from people on both the left and the right. On the left, we risk being lumped in with the uh, white nationalists. On the right, we risk being considered weak snowflakes. When I am first getting to know someone in the Seattle area, it's the first time I've met, we're getting to know one another, and they ask me what I do, I'll be honest, I usually get a little knot in my stomach about saying that i am a pastor at a presbyterian church and the reason i get a little nervous is i feel like i'll either be thought of as a neo-nazi because christianity is so heavily associated with white evangelical white nationalism or i'll be considered a spineless people pleaser because those who do know almost anything about forms of christianity consider most mainline denominations weak and ineffective. That's a little bit of a, of, of a humiliation for me, but those who suffer most for being Christian in the US are not white Christians. Those who suffer most for being Christians in the US are our brothers and sisters in the black church. Many, of our sisters and brothers who are black and follow Jesus. Know that that means standing up and speaking out on behalf of the poor, the disenfranchised, those treated unjustly. And many of the great civil rights leaders in the country throughout our history have been followers of Christ who are black, and they have been ridiculed, they've been harassed, They've been arrested, they've been beaten, they've been murdered for standing up and speaking out as Christ leads us to do. Thankfully, along the way, there have been allies in the white church who have recognized that this is the way of Jesus and accompanied our brothers and sisters in standing up and speaking out for justice, for true peace, love for all. And some of them, very few in comparison, but some of them have also been ridiculed, harassed, arrested, beaten, even murdered. If we are truly followers of Christ, if we're doing it right, we should not expect to be powerful and highly praised by the world. Paul reminds us of how we look in comparison to the way of the world. He writes, Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. It's foolishness to save those who believe. We preach Christ crucified, the Messiah murdered, which again was so opposed. That's what we preach, Paul is writing, a stumbling block for Jewish people and foolishness to Gentiles. This is not the way it's supposed to go. That's not what strong people do. That's not what Messiah's saviors do. But to those whom Jesus has called, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. That's the way it can look to a lot of people. Foolishness, idiocy, ignorance. In the Christian church, we often try to edit some of uh, Jesus' more difficult truths. For this, we might say something along the lines of, To follow Christ is to serve and be humble. What Jesus says is more like to follow me is to sacrifice and to be humiliated, not humbled, humiliated, or worse. This morning's story reminds us that following Jesus often leads us into difficulty. But it also reminds us that on the third day, he rose to new life, and so will we. Thanks be to God.